a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and a very warm welcome to this special edition of The Hub on CGTN at the Media Village here at the Asian Games in Hangzhou, China. Having covered half a dozen major sporting events around the world, uh, including the FIFA World Cup, the Olympics and Asian Games, I must say, I must say, this is probably one of the most impressive and certainly the greenest ever um, because here in the media village, for example, you can swap things, you can uh, you know, get your low carbon activities rewarded, uh, you can swap your recycled towels or used bo water bottles for anything from mascots of the games to uh, fridge magnets, um, anything that you can imagine. Now, we're only a couple of days away from the opening ceremony of the Hanzhou Asian Games. All the spotlight is on the opening ceremony itself. Now, will it rival the Guangzhou Asian Games 10 years ago, even the Beijing Olympics in 2008? Who will light the torch of the Hanzhou Asian Games? My colleague Wang Naichian had this exclusive interview with Scott Givens, the executive producer of the Hanzhou Asian Games opening ceremony. And by the way, Scott and his team have been involved in some 15 opening ceremonies of the Olympics and Paralympics previously. Let's take a listen. So Mr. Givens, it's a great pleasure to have you here with us. Um, I want to ask you, like, we all know that organizing the opening ceremony of such a massive international event is no small matter. So could you tell us about your role and what do you do to make sure that everyone on our team is working towards the same goal to ensure that everything is running smoothly? Um. I think our our job is to to be the the part of the delivery team. Make sure that we build an incredible team and we sculpt an incredible team to deliver the project on time and and as as expected. And so I do personally um, I you know I start working through the creative process and helping the Chinese team and Mr. Shaw with their creative ideas and and things. And then as we get near the end I become a sculptor, so I'm looking at the performance while everyone's very busy doing their job. I'm looking for opportunities to make things slightly better, a bit more lighting here, a bit more focus here, different things. And then as we get broadcast cameras, I'm looking through the eye of the broadcast camera to clean the images, to make sure that what's being seen by the television director is the best possible composition on the backside. And so we, we become really consultants to the team at that point. The choreographers are doing their job and the staging directors are doing their job and the technical teams are doing their job. But we become consultants to, to give notes and give perspective that hopefully just makes the show that much more polished and that much better when it gets to broadcast. Like you said, the opening ceremony of Hangzhou Games is international effort. So what is it like to work with professionals from diverse cultural backgrounds? You know, I, I like to say that's one, of, that's one of the reasons I love what I do. I get to, to participate in a team of dominantly Chinese talent, great creative talent, and, and I get to be a, uh, see a bit of the Chinese culture through their eyes. You know, I'm certainly a Westerner. I have a perspective that's international. But I get to see how they see things and then help them to scale their ideas or bring their ideas to a bigger level when you're coming to an Olympic stage like the Asia Games. I don't want to give away any of the secrets, 
because when you watch the ceremony, part of the joy is the surprise of seeing uh, the things that you see. But, but um, you know, a lot of what we've brought to the ceremony, we brought kind of some specific designs and specific ideas to help the team just think a little differently. Some things we don't have seen in our journey that the Chinese team hadn't seen, but. Uh, the dominant idea is that the creative Mr. Shaw is the, the ultimate creative director, general director, and his team helped to, to create magic, and I think it'd be quite good. You were the executive director for the previous Jakarta Asian Games, and in the interview you mentioned that you used natural elements, the water, wind, fire, uh, earth, to tell the Indonesian story. So what about Hangzhou this time? You know, in Hangzhou, the the real story was about the coming together of Asia and and it is the the rising tide of Asia and the the way the, the Mr. Shaw and the creative team saw Asia and, and the growth of Asia and so you'll see cultural traditions that are from this city um, that I think are really well executed ink drop paintings and things that are done in a massive scale I think quite beautiful and you'll see incredible technology the technology is is groundbreaking but it's always in service of the creative. It's not about doing a fancy thing with technology. It's about using the technology to deliver the creative. And I think in a city like Hangzhou, that's a great balance. I, I think there's, there's two things that I find really, really innovative in this ceremony technically. Um, one, the use of it, augmented reality is incredibly sophisticated um, and, and multi-camera and moving cameras. Um, you know, we have AR on helicopters and, and things that I haven't seen. Usually augmented reality, it's just an emerging technology. So you'll see a big technical advance in the augmented reality cameras and the, the camera work that we do. The second that you'll see is a, is a mesh screen that's part of the, the opening ceremony. And it, it, it's on the backside, where in Jakarta we had a big mountain, here you have a technical mesh screen and it provides a backdrop and a painting tableau that we use throughout the ceremony to catch images and reflect images and provide a backdrop to the performance. Scott's connection with China began when he was in the international selection panel of the emblem for the 2008 Olympics and he went on to become the IOC's leading expert in organizing creative ceremonies. In 2015, he played a key role in helping Beijing secure the 2022 Winter Olympics bid. Um, back in 2015, the bid committee for, for the Beijing Winter Olympic Games asked us to come and help them in the final stages. And we helped, um, the, the team was doing amazing technical work and they had a great strategy for the Winter Games. But I've worked in the IOC, I know the Olympic movement quite well and we helped to package that message to make that message resonate with the IOC members creating presentations and videos and just the way China was presented to a very specific voting audience that ultimately picked China as the host of 2022. And it was it was really interesting um, we wrote speeches we created presentations for for um, the IOC that, that were given in the final um, time and just really tried to take the Chinese story, but make sure it resonated with the voters in a way the voters understand. And, um, and, and I think uh, we were really happy to see the success and bring Beijing 22 
here, and, and it's been a long journey. My first trip to China goes back to the selection of the logo for Beijing 2008. That was my very first trip to China around 2000 and, uh, 2003 for that. And so I've, I've had a long journey with the Olympic movement in China. I actually have seen uh, a change in the way China presents itself. Um, China was always proud, always a proud country as it should be. It's, a, it's an amazing country with amazing people, but its confidence in its tone of voice has, has really grown. Uh, 2008 was, you know, uh, uh, an opening of Chinese culture to the world. And I think since then, it's been a very confident and proud China that we've gotten to see. And you'll see it here in Hangzhou, a very proud and beautiful China on display. I would say one of the biggest ones is just the, the growth of the professional market. The, the uh, teams and the, the professional capability of the teams in China um, is world class. And in 2008, it was emerging. You know, there was a, a growth from 2008 and then the Guangzhou Asia Games. Um, that, that was when China was learning and learning these big, big spectacles that are Olympic. And now in Hangzhou, it's 100% of Chinese production. We were just helping a little bit on the side to, to give perspective, but it's a very, very strong growth in professional capabilities. With three decades of experience in band production, Scott Givens has a remarkable portfolio. He wrote the first IOC menu on the ceremonies, and his team has led 63 ceremonies, watched by 23 billion people, earning him the title of world premier live content producer. A fortunate opportunity to work as a very young guy on a, on a ceremony at one of my first jobs in university uh, when I was going to school. And, and it was the Pan American Games way back in 1987, was near my hometown. And, um, and I got to be an intern and, and I was just smitten by this um, gathering of nations and gathering of cultures. And I've been fortunate to make my entire career in this space. I, I didn't um, come from any special background. I work very hard. Um, I make good relationships. I'm very collaborative with, with the teams. And, and I'm respectful, as I said, um, I'm a guest. And so I know I'm a guest, whether I'm in a different city than my home city or I'm a totally different country. And so I've learned how to, to be that guest, but give advice that hopefully is helpful and, and uh, provide leadership to, to projects that helps them you know, kind of mature at this very, very big point, this point when you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people are watching. Um, I help countries to be very uh, confident in their presentation at that time. From Jakarta to Hangzhou and also from a real Pan America Games to Sochi 2014, you actually work in very diverse cultural backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with these cultural differences? And how do you like adapt your creative approach uh, connects to each country and their audiences? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm always a guest. I'm a guest here in China. I was a guest in Russia in 2014 and a guest in Jakarta. And uh, I'm always respectful that I'm the guest. I love to listen. I love to learn. I love to find out what people are passionate about. And, and so I use those traits um, to kind of find out what's important and then bring my perspective, the way um, yeah, foreigners see China, the way foreigners see Hangzhou, because you know, it's a, 
it's different. And when you have a ceremony, you need to speak to both. You need to make the Chinese people proud of what you're doing, and you also have to communicate a message to the broader global audience. And I think we'll do that here on, on the Saturday night. You and your team have worked on 11 Olympic Games and four Paralympic Games, and not to mention hundreds of other international events. So um, how do you continue to bring innovative and fresh ideas to your work? You know, it's, it's, it's like uh, every ceremony is different. Every ceremony is new. It's all a new chapter because um, while I've had the fortune of working in Beijing on the Olympics, Hangzhou's a new city, it has a new culture, it has a new flavor, and so I get great joy out of discovering what's special to this city and this place and this province, and then helping to showcase that. And so that makes all our ceremonies different. And, uh, and we really try to, to find this kind of special flavor that, that makes them all special and unique, but delivering at the highest quality, because the world's watching. What's your future plan? My future plan is to have a fantastic opening ceremony on Saturday night and to, to enjoy the great success with the Chinese team here. And then our journey in ceremonies will continue. Um, we look forward to, to doing um, the Summer Olympics in Paris next summer and we'll be a part of that ceremony and that team. And, and so we're very excited. Now, out of all the sports and disciplines of the Hangzhou Asian Games, guess what are some of the most popular? Well, different people obviously have different answers, but e-sport is certainly one of the most popular here in Hangzhou. That is, for the first time, categorized as a medal awarding event here at Asian Games. And also, it is one of the very few events that you have to go through a lottery system in order to purchase a ticket. Well, recently, we caught up with Chris Chen, the president of the World Esports Federation, and asked him what's behind the popularity of global esports. So Chris, welcome to our program. First of all, let me ask you this question, perhaps on behalf of many. Um, why is eSport even a sport? I mean, why should they be allowed to enter multilateral international sporting events such as the Asian Games? I think I can give you an analogy. I think in 2005, when we were thinking of introducing some new sports in the Asian Indoor Games in Bangkok, we were looking at some sport called extreme sports, skateboarding, you know, climbing. At that time, it was extreme sports. We always had misconception feeling of people who were doing these sports in the park in the late hours of the evening, you know. But today, after so many years, these sports are now called urban sports, and they even included in the Olympic program. So I think esports is something that is uh, also misunderstood. I think we need to come to understand what is esports, why are so many youth involved in esports so that uh, we win them over. Likewise, they earn our respect and uh, then we can collaborate together to make sure that esports is then run correctly with the correct values, etc. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Chris. I mean, I think this is an opportunity to, to elaborate really what is esports and why is it different from gaming, for example, that makes young people addicted because addiction is a concern for so many parents. It is a sport just like any other sport because it involves strategy, involves skill, it involves teamwork, involves dedication, involves fitness. Not just physical fitness, and it's also mental fitness, especially for the elite athletes who are competing, representing their countries in the professional competitions or in those games where they compete for their flag. 
So we are not talking about those kids perhaps locking themselves in the rooms and just playing games for the sake of playing games. Those are the those are, of course are the kids we have to address the problems. But generally for esports athletes, for gamers, they have all the skills, they have all the fitness, you know. And so I, I think it's just like any other sports except that it's got its own set of rules and it's got champions too, you know. But Chris, you, you even admitted that this sport is largely a mind sport. I mean, by categorizing it as a you know, medal awarding program in events such as the Asian Games, I mean, how legitimate is that? That is really the question of many, because if you look at other disciplines, almost all other disciplines that involve certain kind of you know, training your physical fitness, shaping your physique, endorphin producing uh, physical activities which um esport is arguably not well it's got its own physicality in the sense that there's dexterity the guy the player has to be very fast hands and mind coordinated you know despite just mental sharpness uh, there needs to be dexterity fast sharp movement uh, fingers on the control uh, on the mouse or eyes sharp so everything is coordinated. So unless you're in that top shape, uh, mind, body, uh, eyesight, hearing, that's what makes a very good athlete. And uh, most of them are young. Of course, they are the exceptional, uh, most senior athletes, but who can still maintain their sharpness. They're still there competing at the top level. Yeah. You said that you were not so much immersed in esports prior to your role with the Global Esports Federation. What are the changes? Was there a point whereby you're like, wow, uh, this should be a sport? Um, what has been your journey in becoming uh, you know, the president of this federation? Basically, uh, my strength is not in gaming, of course. My strength is in uh, uh, organization, setting up the body and uh, I'm very fixated that uh, athletes, uh, especially esports gamers, that uh, while they are competing in their journey as top athletes, and at the end of their uh, sporting journey, uh, it should make them good global citizens. So we are not just concerned about them playing the game well. We are also uh, very concerned about them picking up the right values and uh, therefore, at the end of the journey as sportsmen, when they go into this uh, life after sports, they are role models, uh, athletes, aware of problems in the world and not just gaming alone. So therefore, in Global Esports Federation, when we have our annual Global Esports Games, uh, you don't compete for money. You compete for the flag. You must have pride in uh, representing your country. So these are certain things that we are very fixated on in Global Esports Federation. We talk about health and wellness, just not about physical fitness, but you know everything about uh, health. Uh, we're talking about sustainability. These are issues where if an athlete is just uh, focused on gaming and making money in the professional circuit, then he will just think about money, that's all. But uh, in GF, uh, we have other values. Talking about values and setting uh, proper role models through playing these uh, e-sports games, Chris, uh, let's clarify some of the you know, conventional uh, ideas about what e-sport uh, connotates. Because back in the day, when we talk about gaming, it involves a lot of killing, and a lot of the end games is about killing your opponents or you know, killing a, a target to reach another target. Um, and you're alluding to the fact that this is not what esports is all about. 
I think when you look at it at a bigger picture, um, it's getting to the end of the objective, you know. Um, and and when you uh, gear yourself towards reaching an objective, we want them to uh, learn certain values that uh, if if it's a team game, you need to work with your team partner and how do you partner your friend, how do you help your friend if it's a team uh, event to reach the objective. It's not so much the, yeah, um, for visual sometimes in the game there's blood and all, you know, but it's not how much blood you spill. I mean, are there content restrictions? For example, there's not going to be, not going to be bloodshed. Uh, there's not going to be violence and they're not going to be, of course, nudity. Uh, what are the restrictions for esports uh, becoming an uh, Asian sports game? I think I'll be very honest with you. Um, these are games that are already there in the market. I don't particularly subscribe to some of the games. They are quite gory in that sense. But uh, therefore, when we select some of the titles or the games for our, our competitions, our marquee events, we are also more selective. Esports been around for quite some time. Uh, it's flooded with so many types of games. Um, it's also not correct to generalize to say that all games are gory games or bloody games. So there's still some very exciting, interesting games here. Not all games were born equal, huh? Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Asian Games uh, in Hangzhou. That is a major sporting event taking place in China and throughout Asia. Uh, Esports are taking its debut as a proper medal awarding event at the Asian Games. Uh, how do you look at the significance of all this? And also, how do you see these uh, seven medals to be awarded uh, unfold? I think this is a milestone because uh, it has now been, eSports has been included as a medal sport as part of the Asian Games sports program. So that is by itself is uh, acknowledgement that uh, eSports is already there. I think seven spots is fair enough. I think at least it's got a stepping stone there. So I'm quite happy to see uh, eSports there. This is only the First, I hope that uh, in the other uh, continental games, uh, certainly we know that in the Pan American Championship coming up in November, uh, esports is there. Uh, the athletes are staying in the same village, but uh, I'm not so sure the the medal for that event is counted in the overall medal tally. But Hangzhou is showing the way. It's a very uh, promising, uh, promising sign. Yeah. And then earlier in June, the first uh, ever Olympic Esports Week by the International Olympic Committee has concluded in your home country, Singapore. What do all these mean for the esports industry? To what extent do you see these as a manifestation of esports finally coming onto the global stage? I think this is acknowledgement. I, I I know that there's always been skepticism about esports. I mean, we all uh, from a different generation. We always uh, have this uh, skepticism about esports, about the lack of physicality and whatever which we spoke about earlier. And at one stage, uh, there was also reluctance to use the term esports, uh, preferring to use the term virtual sports. And many of the sports featured uh, were actually virtual sports. But uh, I think eventually. Uh, with time, I I think uh, I hope to see some of the more common titles in the esports arena featured in the uh, Olympic uh, program of uh, esports. Let's talk about this. Followed by the United States and South Korea, China is now home to the largest percentage of male gaming earners. That is, people who play these sports for a living and making a very good money. 21% of these gaming earners reside in China. 
And data show that top esports players in China are earning a whopping $1.4 million on average a year. Why is this so lucrative?、Uh, what are the main factors driving you know, the, the business side of this sport? I think there are several factors. One is your enormous uh, uh, player base as well as fan base. This helps create a very robust ecosystem. And then, of course, you have、uh, it's investment from your public and private sectors,、uh, fueling the growth of the esports industry. And of course,、uh, you have a very robust ecosystem, not just the teams, the leagues, and the tournaments. Uh, and uh, of course, finally, I think the dedication and skill of the players. You know, this is this is the only thing that makes them exceptional. And、uh, I, yeah, I've seen some of the players overseas. Some people are seeing esports as a unique opportunity for China to export a form of entertainment、uh, of itself.、Uh, you know, even seeing it as a, a soft power projection.、Uh, you know, that could perhaps one day rival. The likes of NBA, you know, what are the China's strengths for developing esports going forward? I think it's、uh, it's massive gaming population. I think it's got,、uh, of course, you have the fan base there.、Uh, it's got top tier esports organizations. Our our founding、uh, partner is Tencent. <laughs> you know, Tencent is huge in in developing games and.、Uh, Of course, your success in hosting、uh, many international events, and、uh, needless to say,、uh, our global esports games is destined for China next year. These huge revenues in the Asia esports market are projected to exceed one billion dollars in 2023, showing an annual growth rate of eight percent. That is according to Statistica. As an emerging industry, esports are still male dominated. Uh, do you see this landscape of male domination changing anytime soon? Yes, particularly in esports, because、uh, I don't think there's any、uh, disadvantage for a female to compete in any of the games or any of the titles. Although we tend to segregate them because historically、uh, there's always this this gender biasness. You know, for games like esports,、uh, it's your dexterity, it's how you coordinate with your mind, your eyes, your hearing. You know. So I don't see any disadvantage. I think、uh, there are some open events which we have in global esports、uh, federation competitions where、uh, male and female compete together.、Yeah. Chris, thank you for your perspectives. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That will do it for this edition of the Hub. For more live events and fun stories here at Hangzhou Asian Games, do stay tuned to our program, the Hub on CGTN. Also follow me on Instagram and follow my Weibo account, and also our official account through your favorite social media platforms. And bye for now.